0: I.V.M.
1: Hello, hello! We're Team Splainer. Welcome to an all-new episode of Press Decode, a weekly podcast where we take Splainer's mission to declutter the news one step further. Check out our newsletter for more stories, and we've got a one-month free trial for you in the show notes. But now it's time to sit back, relax and not let the news give you the blues. I'm Vagda, your host for the day, and today it's just me and Prafula. As always, we have three segments for you. In our big story, we're looking at gun laws in the US in the context of the mass shooting at an elementary school in Texas and see if it's easy to get guns in India in context of the popular Punjabi singer Sidhu Musewala, who was also shot last weekend. For the Food for Thought segment, we're talking about the mimification of the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard defamation trial. And then in our final segment, we'll be roasting and toasting our fave and least fave items. And now on to our big story for this week. Last week... An 18-year-old killed 21 people at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. I'll just go over the facts briefly, which are violent to say the least, so please be advised. Hmm. Last Tuesday morning, Salvador Ramos, the 18-year-old who lived with his grandmother, was annoyed by her, so he shot her in the face. And then he texted the girl he liked who reportedly lives in Germany that he shot his grandma and is now going to shoot people at the elementary school close by. He drove to the school with two guns and ammunition and crashed the vehicle outside. He entered and locked himself in one classroom where he shot kids and teachers indiscriminately. 19 children and two teachers lost their lives in about an hour and that he was inside while the police waited for a tactical team to arrive and deal with the shooter. The rest of the school was evacuated while Ramos locked himself in. The tactical team arrived later and shot Ramos and that was the end of it. Now, the media has been abuzz with all kinds of things. Many have questioned the action of the police. Apparently, the police department had a SWAT team and that is trained for situations like these, but they still continued to wait for another tactical team. Then there were right-wing conspiracies about the identity of Ramos. Some claimed that he was a trans person, so that led to a whole flood of anti-trans rhetoric. But then the elephant in the room is the exceptionally high rates of gun violence in America. And linked to that, is the ridiculous ease with which guns are available in the U.S. Profila, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Okay, so um, I remember asking somebody who lived in the States for several years what it took to buy a gun. And at the time, they told me it took as little as going to a gun range and getting an eyesight test to get a license of ownership. And, you know, my mind was blown. Exactly. But, you know, turns out, even if you don't get a license of ownership, it is very easy in most states to get your hands on an actual gun. Uh, there's a piece in Vox from about 2016. And this is right after a gay club called Pulse in Orlando was shot up. And it talks about how guns were basically flying off of shelves, despite the shooting happening, what, a couple of weeks before this. A bunch of journalists around this time tried purchasing guns to test how stringent laws could be in each of these states. Um, One columnist in Philadelphia purchased an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle and it only took her seven minutes. Another writer in the state of Vermont purchased the same model from a man in the parking lot of a fast food place. And then uh, Huffington Post writers bought one in Orlando, the same place where the shooting had taken place, in little over 38 minutes. And all of this is pretty shocking, but the most shocking is a segment from HBO's Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel uh this is i think 2014 um the show outfitted a 13 year old boy with hidden cameras and they sent him to try and buy things he wasn't allowed to at the age uh, think porn cigarettes alcohol guns the first three he wasn't able to buy but he was able to get his hands on a rifle a 22 caliber if i'm not wrong from a private dealer which he paid with in cash and according to the state laws only individuals above 18 are allowed to purchase guns from private dealers. But so much for that, clearly. And, you know, recently I saw this thread on Twitter. It had all these images of people surrounded by their collections of guns. And um, linked under that was a study, again from 2016, which found that in two decades, Americans had added close to 70 million firearms to their private collections and here the word collection is in fact an understatement because roughly half the guns in the country are concentrated with just 3% of the population oh, which is yeah and it's about to get way more insane um the photograph that i was talking about uh, is from a photo series by a photographer named gabriel gallimberti uh, this photographer traveled across the us to capture collections of several gun owners and these pictures look like parody at first because There are just so many guns as compared to the people standing next to them. Or There's, you know, a family of four and it would look like a normal family picture, but they're just surrounded by so many guns. There is one image where a family of four is uh, standing on their porch uh, with guns spread across the porch and not just the porch, but also the roof of their house. They've displayed them also on the roof, which is why I thought it was a parody in the first place.
1: I know. That's, and yeah, it, can it get more ridiculous? I don't know. I don't
0: know. I mean, there was another one where this woman uh, made a star shape with her guns and stood right in the middle of it. So it's worth a look, I think, the photo series, just because it puts things in perspective, but also it's just so ridiculous. Um, And, you know, I realized that Several people come to own guns because of their families. If the family has guns in the house, the kids are likely to get hands on one as well. And if they live in a state with, you know, less strict gun laws, or if they live towards the south, that's, they're also likely to get it at a younger age. The photo series showed, um, the same photo series, showed teenagers as young as about 14, 15, who have collections of at least 10 guns. And this is their own, not their family's collection. These teenagers have a collection of guns of their own. Ah, So one birthday, every birthday they got a... Exactly. <laughs> it's like
1: a gun for every birthday.
0: If oh. you get an A-plus on your test, maybe you get a gun. My God. No, I don't think it's like, <laughs> it's determined on the basis of grades at all. <laughs> <laughs> Bold statements are being spoken, but uh, Okay. Uh, no, but from what we hear about gun laws in the US, it feels like this should not be a surprise, right? But still, the numbers are insane, for lack of a better word. But from what I know or understand, we aren't doing too much better here. So, the, how easy is it to get guns in India? It's not easy. It's not easy. Ah. We are doing much
1: better than them. We are. Trust me. That's good it's to India know. has Yes, India has like one of the strictest gun laws in the world. And before 1991, you needed a license to do pretty much everything in India. While that situation has changed and for good and we're very glad about that, you still need to get a license to get arms in India. And that's not an Hmm. easy license to get. It takes a long time and it has involved like a proper background check. You will not get it if you're 13 years old. Also something Hmm. to be very glad about. (laughs) Now, according to the latest global rankings by the Small Arms Survey, India is the one twenty is, is 120th on the list of most armed countries, while US tops that list. It is the most armed country in the world. And what does wow. that mean? It's uh, basically okay. a survey that looks at the number of privately held firearms per 100 people in all the countries mm-hmm. in the world. And we at in India have five privately held firearms per 100 Indians. For US, that figure is 120 per 100 people. Wow. They have more firearms than they have people. <laughs> and these are legal firearms. This is what like when we, I mean, even though we have like firearms for like 100 people, we still hear mm-hmm. of gun related violence that in India true. also, you know, because mm. look at you, you were you were concerned, maybe we're not, maybe we're worse off is what you said.
0: We <laughs> mm. hear so much about people getting shot, but it's surprising that there aren't as many firearms as there are news reports. <laughs> yes, there is shot. a
1: little bit of a nuance there, where I, I, mm. which I will get to. And that yes. is, if you um, you might have heard, last weekend, Punjabi mm-hmm. rapper and musician Sidhu Sewala was shot dead. Yeah. It's been tagged as a gang-related murder because the Lawrence Bishnoi gang and Canada-based gangster Goldie Brar have taken credit for the killing but surely this would not be a case of legal firearms because gangsters are not going to get legal firearms there's mm. enough of a background check for that now data actually shows that as few as 10 out of 100 homicides in india are caused by firearms but more than 90% actually of these mm-hmm. firearm related homicides are caused by unlawfully held weapons so they're not Interesting. licensed weapons. ah so what we have is an illegal gun problem mm. But it's still not easy to get illegal guns. They're like smuggled and they're watched carefully. It's not like, you know, a teen can go and buy it over the counter. So I think the bottom line is that we're still doing much better. I'm not sure what we can do about the illegal firearms here. And we probably
0: explore that in another episode. (laughs) But it is a silver lining nonetheless, I think. Yes. On that note... We come to the end of our first segment. We will be right back after a short break. You are listening to Press Decode on the IBM Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Press Decode on the IBM Podcast Network. We're TeamSplainer and in today's Food for Thought, we're talking about the infamous defamation trial between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And I'm sure you know all about it. Maybe you followed it or maybe you've been inundated with posts and videos right since it began.
1: Or you have heard nothing about it like me. I mean, I have, I've of course, heard really? a lot about it. I've heard a lot about it, but I have just not been able to follow what is happening <clears> in <throat> these live streams of the case, man. And I'm just flooded with it. Anyway,
0: go on. You know, I think the problem is a lot of people know about it, but people are not actually digging to get information or... Mm-hmm. Because that's exactly what I want to get into, Uh, because the information that we have about the trial is not limited to reporting or the odd op-ed or clips from the trial that, you know, news channels are putting out. There are now memes and reaction videos, as well as compilation videos on TikTok and YouTube from the trial, as if it were a TV show like Amber Heard Owned, Johnny Depp Savage, Lawyer Savage moment. I don't know what to say about it, right? And that's mm. not all. There are sound bites from the actual trial that are being used for making content for Instagram and TikTok. And it is just as nefarious as it sounds because there's an alarming number of content creators, and in some cases, regular people who are making these reels for fun, who parody whatever is being described. And usually it is her talking about, you know, abuse or mm. talking about an emotional breakdown. And these people are um, making fun of her by acting out what she is saying in a very disrespectful way. Um, And I think we should remember that this is a defamation trial because Depp sued her for writing an op-ed about domestic violence in 2018, which is long after the divorce. And I mean, we'll get into the details later, but I felt like, you know, that's an important point that we need to remember. Uh, and all this sounds so unsavory, but there is so much more like this. This is an entire rabbit hole. In one session, Heard called a particular makeup palette, like she held it up and called it a bruise kit, something that she would use to cover up bruises after Depp would allegedly hit her. And then the brand that made the palette jumped on the bandwagon so quickly. And I think, I don't know if this is a personal bias, but it felt like they did it in a very smug way. They fact-checked what Amber Heard said because they said, oh, you know, Amber Heard said this happened in 2016, but the pilot was released in 2017. So hence proved she's lying and all of that. And they were very quick to take a side in this. And obviously they earned a lot of clout out of it also. And there's a lot more of this craziness, but I think we need to first, recap and look at just why things became so ugly in the first place yeah we need
1: a brief like backgrounder on Mm. what exactly the case is about because all we have is memes yeah okay so amber heard and johnny depp met for the first time in 2009 amber was a new and upcoming actress while johnny was a huge star They left their respective partners in 2012. They started seeing each other and in 2014, they were engaged. They got married in 2015 and by May 2016, which is about a year and a half, 15 months sort of, their marriage was over. They filed for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences. And when Amber filed for divorce in 2016, she also accused Depp of physical violence and obtained a temporary restraining order against him. This is back in 2016. And one particular accusation of physical violence was that he violently attacked her and threw a mobile phone at her face with extreme force. Hmm. But when the police went to investigate, they found there was no crime because she herself declined to give a statement to the police saying that she feared an international media incident. Mm -hmm. But then People magazine carried photos of her bruised face. So it became an international media incident anyway. Oh, I don't know who's saying the truth here. But later, she took back her request for the restraining order and they settled for $7 million uh, that she says she's given to charity. Mm -hmm. And the key point is that in their divorce settlement, of 2017, there was a non disparagement clause that bound both parties to not say anything negative about each other in public. Mm. But at the height of the Me Too movement, Amber became an ambassador for women's rights at the American Civil Liberties Union and wrote the famed. Washington Post op ed saying she felt, and I'm quoting here, she felt the full force of our culture's wrath for women who speak out, and that she Mm. had the rare vantage point of seeing in real time how institutions protect men accused of abuse. She didn't name Johnny Depp, but everyone knew he was the one Mm. she was talking about. And four days later, Depp was dropped from the latest Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Then a UK tabloid called him a wife beater who he sued for libel but lost because 12 out of the 14 incidents of violence were found as substantially true by the judge. Wow. So you lost your case of libel. Mm -hmm. And now he's finally suing Amber for defamation for that 2018 op-ed because he lost a lot of other stuff because of that, you know, wife beating thing and all of the accusations she's made against him. But that's literally all I know about the case. And I think that is the most important part that you need to know about the case rather than follow what's happening in the hearing because that's for the jury to decide. That is true. I know all these people who keep sharing videos and of the trial and of the hearings and almost all actually, all. I mm. don't even remember one video or reel or anything that pulls depth down. They're all against Amber. Pointing out, right. oh, she got caught. Oh, you know, mm. she's stupid. But I just keep feeling like this is... Despite that, I don't know whose side to take. And I don't even know... I, like, when I, when I don't know whose side to take, and when, like, when people share these things with me, I don't know what to say. Mm. Because they are clearly on one side. I don't want to take sides. Because True. I am not the jury, man. And that's why that's the problem. Like, I just... I don't know what to do about it.
0: How do you feel? Honestly, same. Because... I have tried not to take a side at all and I've not followed the trial because it's just it's difficult to follow also with everything that is being said in the trial. Uh, but when things started up several weeks ago, uh, I found myself first kind of siding with depth because, you know, it's only surface level reporting and videos that the kind that are going around now were the things that were available then and also because when men claim abuse they are rarely taken seriously right but then the tone of conversation around the trial completely changed right suddenly Amber Heard became the target of all sorts of vitriol like there's this whole media circus around legal proceedings which is first of all I mean like you said the judge and the jury have to decide and Also, like, having this much vested interest in legal proceedings is rare. I do not remember cases that have been this far reaching. Like, there are entire fan clubs for Johnny Depp. And these are people who have barely, like, acknowledged this person before, right? They watched him in a couple of movies, sure. Maybe he's a good actor. uh, But suddenly, they're diehard fans. I know people, I've seen people get tattoos, not only of Johnny Depp, which I kind of understand because, you know, he's an actor and all that. There's a fan base. But people are also getting tattoos of his lawyer and the thing she's saying in court. Oh my God, are you kidding me? I am not. I wish I was. Like, you know, this whole girl power movement kind of thing around this lawyer has started and there are fan clubs for her. And which is exactly the point. I feel like we're at a point where having a hot take on the stupid trial will get you social points. And, you know, like I said, for all the discourse, I think we've forgotten that this is a defamation trial where Depp is suing Herd because she wrote about domestic violence. And like you said, she did not mention him at all. And yet he's the one who took her to court. He's the one who lost the libel case. Uh Sure, there's talk about who the real abuser is because a lot of things have come out over the course of these few weeks. And there's a lot about how Hurd isn't a good person. But I think, again, that becomes... I don't want to take sides, but again, it feels very nefarious because it feels like, oh, you know, you have to be like the perfect victim. If you do this or you do that, then, you know, we cannot take your um, account seriously. And another point is, when has any famous man who's been accused of any form of abuse, even in the Me Too era, been targeted with this much hate, right? We've never seen such a far-reaching thing of, you know... There is never any hate for the abuser. It's just a trial. There is never any like
1: social media hate for an abuser. mm, There is never. Yes, that is. find a uh, lot of character assassination of the woman who makes the accusation. I'm not saying that she is not an abuser. I don't know if she is, but I haven't seen it for the man. That is
0: what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It has been very gendered, I think. And like, even if there is some sort of hate, it is mostly like, you know, op-ed saying something. It's not people really taking sides and going... You know this person is terrible, and this person is good, and all of that. And with how the public is reacting to all of this, I'm beginning to wonder: will anyone want to speak up about what they have faced personally now? Yes. Because of how much hate one woman is getting, because the trial is so widely available and it's being so obsessively consumed, maybe it has become a disservice to victims and survivors of abuse. Right? Oh,
1: I. Totally believe that. Like, how is anyone supposed to come out and say that they were abused if they're going to face something like this? And why was it even live streamed in the first place? Why are you making up a case for a media trial? Why was it live so, streamed?
0: You know, so from what I've understood, uh, Virginia is where the trial is being held, and Virginia allows for recording devices in the courtroom. And I read somewhere that the judge initially suggested recording devices or recordings to help manage potential issues with spectators and with the media at the courthouse. And also, the judge gave both Depp and Heard time to come back with their arguments for and against and then made her decision about whether this should be recorded or live streamed. Amber Heard was against it. Johnny Depp's side was for it. Ultimately, it was the judge's call. I'm not sure... I haven't read anything about why this Mm. decision was ultimately taken. And here's the thing, even if the proceedings are being recorded, right? uh, In Virginia, victims of sexual abuse should not be recorded. Victims and their families, especially when they're recounting what they're saying, right? And from what I understand of the legal procedure also, sometimes they're not in the same room as the person they're testifying against. Yeah. But... Amber Heard has been put on the stand in the same room as Johnny Depp. She's also on camera to recount what may well be the lowest period of her life. I don't know how much of it is true. I mean, it
1: it isn't actually a sexual abuse trial. It's not a trial. I mean, it they're they're probably both victims of sexual abuse. How do I know, Mm. right? because they're both like throwing allegations at each other. Correct, yeah. But the thing is, the trial is a defamation case. It's not actually a case of sexual abuse. I mean, the the facts are about abuse. So I don't know, I'm not going to say this about a.
0: Yeah, that is true. Even if it is defamation, I get what you're saying. Maybe there should be something taken, right? When the balance it, you have both of them testify when the other is not in the room. Something of the sort, because like even their reactions to the other have been taken out of context or I don't know. Uh, been turned into videos and memes and all of that. And I think it was Nikhil Taneja. I, I saw his thread on this and um, he said, what is most shocking about the case is that our culture has taken uh, the aspects of violence and abuse and have turned it into humor and entertainment. I don't know what to say about it. I mean, I don't want to take sides. I, Like you said, again, we're not the jury. Uh, We shouldn't be so invested in this trial to begin with, but it's hard not to be with everything that is sent our way.
1: Yeah. Okay. On that note, we come to the end of this segment. We'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to Press Decode on the IVM Podcasts Network. Welcome back to Press Decode on the IVM Podcasts Network. It's time for our final segment this week, Roast or Toast. And I am back with a least fave. What? Yeah, this is what the second bout of COVID has done to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it is ridiculous. Last week, this was the biggest story on Indian news. I'm not kidding. Literally, if you opened any news website, and I do the news scan. So I saw this on every news website. Mm. You'd see this story. And it was about this IS couple, Sanjeev Khirwar and his wife Rinku Dugga who apparently kicked everyone out of the Tiagrad Stadium in Delhi, like all athletes, out by 7pm so he can walk his dog. What? Kirwar, of course, strenuously denies this. So then uh, what happens? Delhi CM, Arvind Kejriwal, directed all government sports facilities to remain open till 10pm for practice. Mm. And what happens as fallout? The Home Ministry transferred Kirwar to Ladakh and his wife and fellow I.S. officer to Arunachal Pradesh. There's lots of problems with this. The first mm. one is the deal with punishment postings. One, yes, uh, that is ridiculous and stupid and extremely problematic because don't the people of Ladakh and Arunachal deserve good bureaucrats? <laughs> and two, yes, they may not actually work as punishments because hello, I love Ladakh. <laughs> Who said it's a bad place to be? <laughs> and third, the question that everyone has asked, where should the dog go? The home ministry mm-hmm. did not fully address the situation at hand.
0: <laughs> Those are the pressing questions. You know, also, yeah. I, uh, I think Indian Express was the first to carry this or something. Yeah. I remember something. Yeah, I think like they carried it out like a whole sting operation where they hid behind like trees and stuff to take the picture of uh, Kirwar walking the dog because he had denied it. Mm-hmm. That is truly something. It is truly something. <laughs> and since we've uh, switched places this week, apparently, I have a fave item and I looked very hard for something funny, but the news cycle was not very giving this week, but uh, some of us will be familiar with doom scrolling. It happens when you're scrolling through your feed and then you see a constant stream of stories that are depressing. give politics, climate change, sickness or death. Then a lot of this happened during the pandemic. And the anxiety that a lot of people feel, especially about the environment, has been christened climate doomism, the feeling that there is no hope left any longer. But there are people who are trying to counter this doom and gloom, and who better to do this than the actual climate and sustainability scientists. These people are the people who, you know, put out reports saying, you know, we need to take action, otherwise by so-and-so year, this might happen. And but they're also the ones who don't deny that we're doing pretty badly While they don't deny that we're doing pretty badly, they insist that it isn't too late. And more importantly, one of these scientists said, people are giving up on activism because they're like, I can't handle it anymore. This is too much. And if it is really too late, why am I even trying? Doomism ultimately leads to climate inaction, which is the opposite of what we want. And not only are these scientists actively talking to people, uh, I also read that uh, They said, you know, sometimes we use dark humor to cope and then some person on TikTok will take that and state that as actual concrete fact, like, you know, half the population will be underwater by 2050. So now there's an entire TikTok movement also where this um, TikToker is taking all these claims and debunking them saying, you know, this is what climate scientists actually mean. This is not uh, and this is what we can do to stop it. So it's not like, you know, all of us will be underwater by so-and-so date. But this is a possibility and this is what we can do to stop it. And in all the horridness of the news cycle, despite me being the pessimist I am, I think this is something I can get behind. Mm-hmm. So yes. there's that.
1: And that was our show this week. Thank you so much for joining us on Code. You can catch us every Thursday on the IVM Podcasts Network. And guys, please remember, don't let the news give you the blues.